God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome back to Family Discussion. This is, is this season five, Lisa? Is that what we just started? It should be. Um, I know we have not been here for a while. Um, we were in season four and we, were? we took a little. Yes. Yes. We, All right. We go, we've been doing this thing on systematic theology and we mm-hmm. went through the doctrine of uh, anthropology and doctrine of sin. Um, yeah. And then we took a, and then we took a break because, you know, life happens. It's been a long break, too, hasn't it? It's been quite a few months since we've sat down and had one of these conversations um and so yeah i mean that's what we were doing we were doing systematic theology back in season four and um i hope people enjoyed those conversations and and initially we thought when we got back together in season five we would keep going um but we've decided to shift things up a little bit to shake it up and and move I think back to the heart of why we started this podcast to begin with, and, and maybe we can remind listeners during this season premiere of why this podcast exists a little bit. But um, this was started back in 2019 as a discussion between uh, you and I. We have some um, strong disagreements about some issues. Um, we have a lot of areas where we strongly agree with one another as well. And... Um, we fit we we found that loving careful disagreement between brothers and sisters was not happening in the larger blogosphere and in the larger uh you know podcast world and so we decided to start this and and we're gonna shift our focus in season five away from systematic theology we're kind of leaving that project undone i understand that but we're shifting our focus back to current events because that was really what the heart of this show was, was to talk about the things that are happening in in careful ways, disagreeing well with one another. And um, there's a lot going on that's worth yes, having some good disagreement. But, you know, Lisa, you know, as, as you think about heading into season five and shifting towards current events a little more, why is that something that you're intrigued about about doing this this kind of refocusing back on what we originally were about? Um, maybe it's, you know, maybe I'm crazy, but it just seems like there's been this uptick Mm. of heat. There has Mm. been a lot more, um, controversy in Christian circles, particularly online, especially on Twitter. Um, and, you know, and I think that we are, there's a sense in which, I, I wonder if we're losing our focus and priorities on the right things. Um, I, what I see happening is 
people get so immersed in the arguments that I'm, you know, I'm like, guys, are we like remembering our foundation? Are we, you know, remembering Jesus? Almost like I have this picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Not that I draw that because I don't want to, you know, uh, violate any second commandment uh, <laughs> just here. But, you know, kind of like waving like, hey, hey, guys, over here, <laughs> you yeah. know, sitting, sitting, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um but I, it just seems like there has been an increase in, you know, in mm. the arguments and the hostility and the doubling down of sides. Um, and, and I think that there are, you know, we, I think we just need to look at that and, and it, at a minimum ask, like, what's happening? What is going yeah. on here? You know, I, I, uh, this past summer, I can't even remember when the last time is that we sat down and have a conversation. I think it was, um, I think it was around the summer That's times great. of general assemblies and stuff like that. I think we jumped on and did like one quick conversation together. But um, at my general assembly back in June, we heard a uh, a plenary session from Sandy Wilson, who's a pastor in our denomination. Um, he's not actually pastoring week by week anymore. He's he's kind of retired emeritus type of a position. But Sandy Wilson uh, done a lot of great things for the for the body of Christ, and maybe you've read some of his stuff on Gospel Coalition and other websites like that. Um, but Sandy uh, was speaking to the way that the church impacts. Um, a society or or the way that we navigate the different cultural tides of of our day and of course he was referencing things like um the the trump presidency he was referencing covid he was referencing black lives matter he was referencing a lot of the the cultural flashpoints of the last couple of years but he said almost as a refrain in his message um we are christians we don't lose our minds and I thought that was really helpful because um, we are in a uh, we're in a culture that doesn't seem to prioritize level headedness, um, doesn't seem to prioritize care about the things that we talk about. It's a, it's a shoot from the hip culture, and it's been that way for a while. Social media has really kind of ramped that up for us. Um, but I loved what what uh sandy wilson said there we are christians we don't lose our minds and the best way to practice that kind of level-headed careful thought is to discuss things well and to to really hear one another especially when we disagree uh to not take people to the extreme um by assuming the worst of people you know these are things that we really wanted to do and be back in season one and talk about some of these issues and, and it was more issues oriented initially. Um, and then we went theological and we've never really done a season. That's just like, all right, let's comment on the things that are happening right now. Um, so, you know, it's a little risky in that regard. We have to be, we have to be careful of, uh, how we speak and speaking well and, and always being aware that maybe we don't have all the information as we have the conversation, even our topic today. There's a lot that's still evolving and developing um, around the topic of Christian nationalism, which eventually we'll get to. But um, I, I really think that family discussion can be a place where we can speak carefully, kindly, 
um, winsomely. I know that's a bad word for some people, but about issues that are, there's a lot of heat and we don't want to be about heat. We want to be about how, how can we as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, um, how can we think well about these things? How can we think Christianly and how can we keep the main thing, the main thing? Right. Um, so it's been a long time since we've sat down been a long time since we've been talking and we've had some things going on. Um, I've been kind of busy. That's part of why we haven't been able to jump back on and it's, it's December before we're able to chat again. Um, but just so people know what, what I'm doing, um, you know, our denomination, Evangelical Presbyterian Church has approved the writing of a pastoral letter on racial lament and hope. And, uh, I'm one of the people in our denomination helping write that pastoral letter, which I'm uh, honored to do and been spending a lot of time doing some of that work. Um, also been, uh, teaching through the book of revelation, um, in my awesome. church, which has been wonderful. And I, you know what, that's gotta be an episode this season is just to talk about the way that the book of revelation can really encourage and strengthen, uh, the church is what it exists for. And, um, having grown up a dispensationalist, I don't think I'd ever, uh, I'd, I'd never been able to use the book the way that I'm using it now. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that time. And, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of work with our missions organization in the EPC called world outreach. I'm on that committee. And so there's just been a lot of different things happening all at once. Um, so it's been busy, but it's all been good. None of it's been bad. It's just a ton of really good things all piling up, uh, including a leadership program called arrow leadership that I'm currently working through. So just so much going on. Um, but, that's the life of ministry. It's good. I'm enjoying it. You've also had a lot of things going on over these oh, last few months. What have you been up to? <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, work has been keeping me busy for just to uh, remind folks, or if you're new uh, to the listening to the podcast, I'm the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Local Colors that we celebrate ethnic and cultural heritages from around the globe. Um, for over 30 years, we've had this our, our signature event, which is actually what spawned the organization, the Local Colors Festival that happens the third Saturday of May. Um, but, I, you know, when I came on board, it was very clear to me that we do more. And I, I've been on board since August 2019. And so I've been adding events. Um, I've been, you know, adding new programming to the organization. And so 2022 was a combination of coming back in person with our already existing events, which was Lunar New Year and um, our festival, but also uh, the Hispanic Heritage Month event, um, which we had in October. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ian threatened to ruin it. We had to move it. Uh, That's right. You had a hurricane come through. through. We had it, the remnants of Hurricane Ian, and so I had to move it. I lost a few participants, but it was a very, uh, it was a great day. Uh, we still had a great stage program. We had food uh, from three uh, different countries um, and other vendors, and so it's just, it's been a growing event. We got a lot of media attention, and we had a new event. Uh, in November, right. a celebration of African cultures, which oh, we did nice. in uh, in collaboration with another arts organization whose focus is more on African and African American cultures. And so it was cool. a really, it, it was it, it was so crowded. I was just hoping the fire marshal was going to show up. <laughs> I'm sure we were over capacity. That's awesome. 
but it was really a great event. And in the middle of all of that, I took a trip. Okay. I, my husband and I took a trip to Europe. Nice. Um, it was, most wow. of it was a tour. It was a whirlwind, you know, uh, most of it was a tour. How long uh, were you felt, over there? Felt like travel boot camp. <laughs> um, you were there for how long? For a couple of weeks? 12 days. 12 days. We my hit goodness. five countries. In 12 days. That's a sprint, man. That's, it was a wow. sprint. We started off in Amsterdam. Okay. Uh, the first day and a half were on our own. Then once the tour started, man, you were on that schedule. Uh, <laughs> the next morning, uh, we were off to Germany. Okay. We spent one night in Germany and then off to Switzerland. We spent two nights in Lucerne, Switzerland. Beautiful Ooh, place. Oh, wow. Absolutely gorgeous. And the best chocolates. It yeah. was so hard for me to eat the leftover <laughs> ha Halloween candy, let me tell you, because this chocolate was, was just, de it was delightful. Um, and then well, people uh, heading over to the Spencer house for, uh, you know, on Halloween, they come to the Spencer house and they get themselves a I'm nice not piece of Swiss. giving away the good candy. <laughs> That's not happening. Oh, man. <laughs> you, want can you want Swiss candy, you go to Switzerland. But anyways, <laughs> um, two nights in Paris. Okay. Um, and then we spent the last three nights in London. Nice. And technically the tour was over in Paris. So we were on our own in London and we just happened to be there the day of the Queen's funeral. Wow. Not that that was planned. Um, it was, you know, what a time to be there. But on the other hand, we couldn't really do anything because a lot of things were closed. Yeah. The yeah. roads were blocked off and we were mm -hmm. actually, I was a 12 minute, we were, our hotel was like a 12 minute walk from the Westminster Abbey. Oh man, that um, must have been an absolute, just, it must have been chaos. It, but you couldn't do it because the roads were blocked. I wasn't yeah. able, later on that evening, I was able to take a walk. Um, you couldn't over, even walk on the there. sidewalks. That's right. They would have had it all You could totally walk on the sidewalks. Down. It was completely, oh, it was completely shut down. Um... But here's the here's the thing that I found really interesting. Oh, and let me tell you. Um, look, well, let me start off with this. So, it, you know, anybody that knows anything about Christian history and how it developed, and particularly the influence that it had in Western Europe, um, and you're struck with all of these emblems of Christianity, um, cathedrals. I mean, like massive cathedrals. My favorite was when we were in Switzerland, mm -hmm. uh, we sat in a Catholic church that was built specifically in response to the Reformation. That's awesome. A counter-Reformation A counter-Reformation. And it was gorgeous. I mean, this I'm church sure. was gorgeous. Um, was, but, well, you know, let, me, let me just ask real quick. Was Switzerland your favorite country? Because the way you're speaking, you got the chocolate, you got the, the counter-Reformation well, church, a couple nights there. Was that your favorite on the trip? I, you know, it, it wasn't. Um, really? I, I still okay. say, you know, that was my second time to France. I still love France. And, you know, I got All to right. speak a little French. So that, that helps. Um, I feel like I need to go back to London. <laughs> you didn't spend enough time there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, you go, and especially in France, especially in Paris, because we were in Paris and we were in London. And you just see this, this, this reminder of how integral the Christian faith was in society. And I would say to an extent, even in the Netherlands, you know, as you mm -hmm. know, that, mm -hmm. you know, from whence we get the Dutch reform. Right. Um, and how prominent that thinking was in society. 
but particularly in France and in England, it's just like everywhere you look and you even see like mm. scriptures, like, you know, the, this nod to Christianity written in the, the, the architecture. Yeah. But at the same time, I was also struck with how absolutely secular it is. Like, however mm. you think the U.S. has gone secular away from Christian values, they are way ahead of us. Sure. Um, and, you know, so that's why the, the last day, um, we spent our last day in London was spent on a walking tour with a Christian organization called Christian Heritage London. If you are ever in London, look them up okay. and go on this amazing walking tour that talks not so much about the buildings, but about key Christian figures that had an influence in society. So William Tyndale, um, John Newton, William Wilberforce, Lord Shaftesley. Mm. Um, and it was just really a very, it was a way to, and especially being immersed in this, you know, in, in a culture that really just, you know, especially Paris. I mean, mm. Paris is a gorgeous city. It's a very hedonistic city. Um, it, or I should say a very hedonistic culture. Um, and you kind of get the sense that, you know, people really aren't interested in Christianity. And that's not to say that there aren't Christian ministries, there aren't churches, you, you know, yet I would say even evangelical. Um, and I, I use that term from a theological perspective, right? Um, that are there. I know that there are, there are ministries. Maybe, I don't know about Paris, but I do know, um, you know, of some in London. Um, but it, to me, it just really raises the question of, you know, we've had this, up, like I said a few minutes ago, an uptick. And one of the, um, one of the topics, as you noted earlier, has been this focus on Christian nationalism, this argument about, uh, this argument about, you know, and I would say even a groping, right? I've seen this like increase in, in a desire for a, a warming to a, you know, wanting of um, Christian nationalism. And it, to me, it raises a lot of questions, especially having just gone on this trip. And just seeing that here you have a society. Now, I'm no expert in, you know, European political thought and history. But I do know that the Christian faith was so integral um, in the, um, you know, in the development and the governance of, of society. There, there was no separation of church and state. Right. But then look at it now. And so to me, it just raises a question of when I see people, when I, people, when I see Christians um, favorable to Christian nationalism, I see them groping for Christian nationalism. I mean, to the point where you just have all of this, these heated discussions. I wouldn't know. I'm sorry. Interactions. I wouldn't even call them discussions. <laughs> heated <laughs> interactions especially on twitter i'm like what are you what are you looking for because if you have a society in which christianity was so foundational to that society and it is now 
has has really turned away from those roots. What what is it that you're looking for in yeah. this groping for Christian nationalism? Well, you know, I I think I am not a uh, I am not a European history scholar. I'm not a scholar of the French Revolution. But as you're talking about Paris, I think that the French Revolution of the late 18th century is part of what led to what you're seeing now. Um, and and so we have to just ask the question, you know, how do we go from a place where there, where there are these beautiful cathedrals built, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, scripture etched into the stone of the city all over the place? Um, what you get is a monarchy in France in the late 18th century. Um, including people like Marie Antoinette and others, who would be the emblem of Christianity because there was no distinction between church and state, and were abusing the people in pretty awful ways. And the French Revolution was a, a declaration that we will not allow this monarchy to continue to abuse the people. But when they threw off the monarchy, they threw off the faith of that monarchy as well because... I don't know that the monarchy was a real example of Christian leadership or Christian faith. When you when you read, just you know, you just go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and read a little bit about the French Revolution, you get a picture of some pretty awful things happening in the name of Christ in France. And in the Christian nationalism conversation, you know, you bring up your experience in Paris. I think it's a, a helpful example. I. That always seems to be where Christian nationalism goes. It goes to a place of um, power and state over the faith. The faith almost as a um, uh, religious veneer that makes more pal like more palatable some pretty awful and wicked decisions by rulers. And, and so I guess that does, it gets to the question you're asking, what do proponents of Christian nationalists want? What is it that they're trying to achieve? And, you know, I've, I've not read uh, the book by Stephen Wolf. And, and ordinarily, um, when these kinds of things happen, I tend to ignore it because I, this is going to sound so bad. I, I, I'm not trying to be insulting here, but a lot of times these fights on Twitter happen between Baptists. And so I tend to just kind of see it and, and leave it alone because it's not my sandbox, right? Like I don't, it's not my sandbox. When, when Baptists fight Baptists, I, I just go, okay, but I'm in a denomination. I have a denominational structure. I want to focus my energies there. I've uh, my local church, my presbytery, my general assembly. Like that's where I want to be um, engaged in doing work. Stephen Wolf's a Presbyterian. I, I don't get to just ignore this one. Um, and and so when, when I when I read reviews by folks like uh, Kevin DeYoung or Neil Shenvey, one of the things that came up that was really interesting to me was, uh, and I've seen Stephen Wolf actually tweet this himself, so this isn't like somebody reading into it. He makes it very clear that he is not doing this from a biblical studies position. He's not doing this from a theo from a systematic theological position, but that his book, this case for Christian nationalism, is a political philosophy. That's what it is. It's it's not, um, it is not a a study of the scriptures. This isn't similar to what we get from Calvin in Geneva. This isn't similar 
to what Abraham Kuyper was talking about. Um, and when you look at Abraham Kuyper, there's another example of some pretty horrific things that were done in the name of Christian nationalism, namely apartheid. Um, so it begs the question, all right, th this is a different program because it's decidedly not theological. It's decidedly not biblical um, scholarship. He, ma he makes that case up front. It is a political philosophy. And it is a political philosophy specifically for the United States. This doesn't seem to be one that he's interested in, like, you know, multiple nations. He's, he's arguing specifically about the United States, which is why the cover of the book is the United States with a cross in the middle of it. Um, so it does beg a lot of questions. This political, this political philosophy, what is it trying to actually accomplish? Real world brass tacks. It seems to be a version of Christian uh, of cultural Christianity on steroids. It seems to be the goal. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I, I mean, I haven't read his book. I'm not interested in reading his book because of some of the blatantly racist and misogynist things that are in it. Um, but Lisa, this hits a little closer to home for you even than it does for me because he's he's not in the EPC. He's in the PCA. You had to bring that up, didn't you? I had to. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. But like, but but my, but I don't say that in like a gloating way. I say that in a, this is in our backyard, so we have to talk about it. This isn't right. like some, some, somebody off somewhere else. Right. And here's, here's another reason why I think that it, it's deserving of attention because we talk about brass, you know, like where the rubber meets the road. What are people really concerned about? We are looking at a an increased hostility to Christianity, particularly in the area of what we talked about last season, you know, anthropology, you know, life, um, sex, yeah, the, the sexual ideology uh, it, it, that's, you know, that's out there now that's really, because there is this different foundation being laid, it's giving acceptance to all kinds of deviations, right? Of, you know, sexual deviations that are so far removed from what God established um, in, you know, in his creation as he specified in his word. Um, and, and Christians are concerned. And I think rightly so. We should want a moral and just society. And I think some of the attraction just based on what I've, you know, read, what I what I see people saying is it seems like there is an attraction to Christian nationalism to kind of preserve any type of, you know, Christian ethic, uh, it, you know, any type of morality that is based on Christianity. Um, so that we, you know, don't go like completely, you know, into anarchy, which, you know, I can actually see it happening, keeping in mind that, um, you know, the God's hand of mercy and grace has been on us. And maybe what we're seeing, maybe this is a side note, maybe what we're seeing is just a little bit of removal of that hand. Um, and so the, so I get why people are concerned. Look at, and just even look at what's going on in the schools. 
you know, where you have, um, you know, in terms of the sexual ideology, that being introduced in an earlier, in earlier age, and we brought this up last season. Um, but the question is how, you know, is, is this groping for Christian nationalism? Is that what is going to stem the tide? And again, what specifically do you want of it? You want for our laws to be reflective of Christianity with, I mean, even to the point of specificity, like this is, you know, we're going to operate um, according to Christianity. Not that that has really ever been that explicit. Um, but I, I think that we have enjoyed a particular comfort um, that we're not so much enjoying now. And people are concerned. Um, yeah, I, I think they are. And, you know, I, I think that it's important. I think it's important for us as pastors to know why people are concerned and to see why something like the Christian Nationalism Project is attractive to folks. Um, it is, that is a good question. You know, is this actually the antidote to what people are worried about? Um, and, and we are seeing the erosion of cultural Christianity. Uh, you know, the, 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 the American civil religion has shifted. So the American civil religion and Christianity, um, there was a lot of overlap. They weren't the same thing. And that, that's something that I, I, I've talked about that a lot here and in other places. I, I think we have to be careful to distinguish between the Christianity of the scriptures and the American civil religion um, of the 17th, 18th, 19th, and you know most of the 20th century. Um, uh, because the American civil religion had a place for slavery, and the Christianity of the Bible does not. Um, the American civil religion in the late 20th century had a place for abortion on demand. The scriptures does not. And so, um, because of that, I think the American civil religion and Christianity um, are two different things that need to be talked about separately. But we also have to recognize the overlap between the two for so long. There was a, um, you know, if you think of the, like the, the, what is it, like a Venn diagram, um, the overlap between the two was a much larger space than it is now that they are slowly being pulled apart christianity and the american civil religion are looking more and more different and in the united states um the american civil religion has now two distinct denominations there's conservatives there's liberals um because each one is pursuing a religious project um and and politics has become the religion of the day and so um what we're looking at here is is a uh, a breaking down of the overlap between Christianity and the American civil religion. There will always be a civil religion because there always is. There's always some form of um, religious bond among a people. It, there is very rare to find um, an a-religious place because even in a hyper-secular society like you're describing in France, well, secularity becomes the religious commitment. You know, that's where you get your morality. It's, it comes from a place of secularism. And we can disagree with that moral compass, but there is a moral compass there because they're able to say, this is right, this is wrong. 
just because we we disagree with their definitions doesn't mean they don't have definitions, right? So there is some yeah. sort of a a civil religion in virtually every society. And I think a lot of Christians are looking around and saying the overlap has shrunk to the point where I'm not sure my Christian faith is acceptable in this new American civil religion paradigm. Um, and so they, they try and Christianize one of these two warring religious factions, conservatives and liberals. Um, and, and so I guess this, this leads me to a question because it's something we've talked about before. Um, something that Karen Ellis has written a lot about. I know she's a friend of yours. Um, this pursuit of cultural Christianity. How do we pursue the other cultural identity of being part of the kingdom? This other cultural thing. How do we pursue that and cultural Christianity at the same time? H how do we do both? Yeah, I well, I I don't well, first of all, I don't think our goal is should be to pursue cultural Christianity. I okay. think what we're re what we're dealing with is the fact that cultural Christianity has been so much so much part of the American system for so long that people have become comfortable with it. Um our pursuit should be the kingdom of Christ. You know, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm always struck. Like since I've, I've been observing this, com this conversation about Christian nationalism, um, it takes me to Jesus's words in the prayer that he said to his disciples, and specifically, "Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven." Well, first of all. You know, that ought to raise the question of, okay, so what is his will in heaven? Certainly it's, you know, when we look at, if we're going to look at the whole counsel of scripture, right, we're going to start with Genesis and understanding that the world that God made and wanted it to be good. And he gave the command to, you know, to the man and woman be fruitful and multiply. And that was for the building up of his creation uh, according to his precepts in a way that will glorify him. Um, and as we talked about last season, that went by the wayside, uh, you know, in, Ge in Genesis 3. But there's still that, um, there, there's still that paradigm. Um, there's still that, um, that hope that even, you know, it, it, we can get a trickling of his kingdom here. That's our priority. Um, our priority should not be, how do we have a political system that makes Christianity comfortable? Our priority is his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so with that, I do think, and I know we, we've had a, a you know brief conversation before we started recording and taken a different, have a different perspective on cultural Christianity. I do think that there are some favorable aspects of it, especially when you consider what is the opposite um, in that it can point to Christianity. So you made this distinction, right, between the American civil religion and Christianity to the extent that cultural Christianity can point to actual Christianity, I think that that's a good thing. Um, or should I say, it's not a bad thing. 
But do we want cultural Christianity? No. What we want is for Christ's kingdom to, you know, to be manifest on this earth to the extent possible. That's what we should want. I I think maybe the reason I, I hesitate here is because I see cultural Christianity as a different faith altogether. Um, and so the analog that I would make between cultural Christianity and Christianity is Mormonism and Christianity. Uh -huh. um, it looks like Christianity in a lot of ways, but the distortions, once you start to get under the surface, make it very clear this is another faith altogether. Um, this isn't Christianity. And, and my concern with the desire for cultural Christianity is that it actually sets up a false faith in the hope that a false faith will point to the true faith. But false faiths never point to truth faiths. They always point away from Christ towards, uh, really, towards Satan and the evil one and, and idolatry. And so when I, when I look at cultural Christianity, yes, is it easier to live in a country where there's cultural Christianity? Absolutely, it's easier. Is it better? That's where I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer. Um, because if it's a false faith, and I believe that it is, I believe cultural Christianity is a false faith, then I, I do see it along the same lines as, uh, as the faith of Mormonism. And, and I grew up in an area um, in Arizona where Mormonism was massive. Um, in, in fact, there was a, the area where I lived had um, an incredible amount of, of Mormons to the point where it rivaled um, areas of Utah regarding the amount of, per, of Mormons per capita. Wow, so I did not heavily, know that. That's where I grew up. And so the two faiths um, were uh, your, your version of, of Baptist or Mormon. There was also third Catholicism. That's how big Mormonism was. It actually outranked the amount of Catholics in my area. Wow. So when I, when I look at Mormonism and see it as, personally, I see it as a threat to the true faith because it's, it's a counterfeit of Christianity. And then I look at the civil religion and cultural Christianity and say, that's just another counterfeit. And while I do, I do, I do think it's easier to live where the counterfeit is around, where I, I can blend in more. I just, I struggle with it being a positive thing. Is that God's will? Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where my hesitation is. I, I don't see, while I see that it's easier, I don't necessarily see that it's better. And I wonder if the erosion of cultural Christianity might actually end up being a good thing because then the kingdom of God is thrown into starker relief. That juxtaposition that you see in Paris, if you were then also to have met with evangelical leaders there in Paris who are doing the work, I'm curious what they would have thought about a desire to pursue this kind of Christian nationalism project that we're talking about here. Right. Well, we, we can look no further than the New Testament, right? Um, because the Roman Republic was not exactly favorable to Christianity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I would be curious if anyone's ever done any kind of, you know, obscure research about, uh, you know, were there Christians who actually, you know, had any kind of influence within that political system? We, you know, I've operated under the assumption 
that there hasn't been, but maybe there has not to the extent that it can change a whole system. I mean, we know that it, you know, changed eventually with Constantine, but, you know, in those early days when the New Testament letters were being written, um, Christians were being persecuted. There was no space, you know, in, in Roman politics for Christianity to flourish. The church is what made the difference. Um, and, you know, to the point where, you know, we talk about the value of life where, you know, where Christians would, you know, take in babies that were tossed to the wayside. Um, it it was a a complete opposite, um, you know, way of, you know, way of thinking. And I don't, I don't necessarily think we should want to return to that, that kind of society. But at the same time, we understand that, you know, God is over the nations. I mean, you can just read through the, you know, the narrative of scripture. Look at what happened with Israel. Um, not that America has a covenant with the Lord. It does not. God does not have a covenant with America. Um, but you look at the, even the the way that God judged Israel, right? Um Nations rise and fall. That is what scripture shows us. That is what history has shown us. Um, Systems, political systems ebb and flow. They change. And that is why our hope, our anchor has to be in the Lord. It has to be in the life we have in Christ. It has to be in the church. Listen, if we are more concerned about what is going on in the on the outside than we are in the church right because what does scripture tell us judgment begins with the household of god yeah um that has to be our priority now you know i'm sure there can be arguments discussions you know differences of opinion about the role that the church plays in you know in our the government you know government system in our civil society but at the same time, our priority has to be, it has to be the church. Well, and I think, you know, I think that's a good point. There's a difference between influencing a society and um, co-opting and ruling a society, you know. And, and so, you know, Constantine came to Christ somehow. People were in his ear. There must have been some sort of influence in, in his ear. And uh, there's... You know, as you read through the first couple um, centuries of the church, there are high-ranking officials who do eventually come to Christ. Um, sometimes they're forced out of their positions. Sometimes they're not. You know, it, the the church began to spread um, in a you know almost like yeast through dough. You know, it, it did begin to spread like that. But I think when when you mentioned your trip to London. And those couple of days there, you know, you mentioned folks like Wilberforce and Tyndale. Um, I think two things come to mind for me. One, these are people who worked in the, you know, especially with Wilberforce, worked in the halls of government to bring about change that would reflect God's will on earth as it was in heaven. Right. Um, but it's also happening within a country that is explicitly a Christian nation um, and still is today. So when uh, when King Charles took the throne, he he made a vow to be the defender of the faith. He is the head of the Church of England. 
Um, we have an example of Christian nationalism in the United Kingdom. Um, we also have examples of Christian nationalism in the Orthodox Church, uh, because the Orthodox Church is a state church. There's the Russian Orthodox Church, Ukrainian, Serbian, all of these, um, all of these Orthodox churches are connected to one another, but they're nationalized, um, which is why you have some that are doing great things. Think Ukrainian um, Orthodox Church right now. But then you also get churches do horrific things. Think the Russian Orthodox Church and what they have baptized um, in violence there. There's a, the example in, in Bosnia of the Serbian Orthodox Church, the priests blessing the soldiers before the soldiers went out and committed heinous war crimes. Um, this is what happens when you have Christian nationalism. This, the, the church becomes an arm of the state. And, um, and so that's, we have real life examples of this and it never really works out pretty. Like the, the, the prettiest version we have right now is modern day UK. But, um, ask people in colonized nations, uh, how they felt about the Christian United Kingdom. Ask India. You know, I mean, th there are some real horrible things that get done in the name of Christ because these become Christian nations. So there's got to be a difference between co-opting the system and ruling the system and influencing the system, perhaps in a more prophetic way. When I think of Wilberforce giving all of those years constantly fighting for the abolition of slavery, I see prophetic action in the name of Christ in the halls of power seems very different to me than we're going to enact Christian law in a nation and rule that nation by those Christian laws um, because that it just removes the church. This is one of the points Kevin DeYoung made in his in his review. The church gets pulled out. What's the function? I think you know his, his argument is we become nothing more pastors become nothing more than chaplains. And churches are, are nice little places to go worship, but that's not the goal. The goal is dominion. That, man, that's not, yeah. it's not the gospel. It's not the role of the church. It's certainly not the kingdom. Yeah. So as we, as we start these conversations, I mean, this is like the first of many conversations I think we're going to have about Christian nationalism and, um, you know, the positive about shifting our focus to current events is that we're never going to be short on topics. Um, thank you to people like Kanye West for giving us lots of material. Oh, goodness. That's um, a whole other episode. That's an episode coming. For another coming. day. Oh, that's goodness. That's an episode coming. But um, I, I think one of the things we have to um, we have to help people with is in this debate around Christian nationalism, Lisa, how should everyday Christians um, navigate the various perspectives, or not even the various perspectives, but the loud charge towards Christian nationalism. Um, because I think a lot of people are going to get swept up in this. How would you help people be discerning, be careful, be thoughtful as Christian nationalism and this movement coming out of the PCA and Southern Baptist Convention and out of Moscow, Idaho, and these other areas? Like, how do you counsel your fellow church members to be discerning as this starts to, to really grow and develop. You know, I am drawn to a passage in James. I believe it's in chapter one, where he talks about the, you know, we sin 
when with the desires of our flesh, right? Um, the and I think there's one version that says the lust of our flesh, right? There's a pull. Um, and we have to be, so one way, we always have to ask this question, why do I want what I want? Um, and is this something that is a an enticement to my flesh? Or is it, or or is there, you know, something greater? Because we can really convince ourselves. We are really good. I don't know about you. I know I am. And just by observation, I, know, I think a lot of Christians are. We are good at convincing ourselves that we can baptize fleshly desires under the banner of God's will, right? This is what the Lord will want. Well, is it really? Because that's where we have to step back and we have to look at the big picture, you know, again, going back to Jesus's words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What, what does a heavenly paradigm look like? I mean, certainly that's more than just, you know, souls coming to Christ. We want that. But what does that actually look like? And what does scripture tell us about what happens when there is a contrast in society. Um, and I would say, you know, you mentioned Karen Ellis on her Substack, she has done this excellent series on our asking this question, are American Christians persecuted? And she's come out with four of the five posts. It, it was based on a talk that she gave. Um, I would recommend going and reading that because she kind of, you know, she asks the question, looks at some examples, and then shifts the focus to how are the people of God to be? You know, what, and we can look at the people who endured persecution. And that's not to say that we are persecuted. Some would say that. I think there's definitely hostility, and this is a point that she brings out in that series. But we have to understand that we are the Lord's. And that Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. And that's going to look different than what the earthly kingdoms say is good. Because that is what our flesh is oriented to. We have to be oriented. We have to set our minds on things above, as is commanded in Scripture in the book of Colossians. Well, and, and you know, as we're doing so, the will of God is being done on earth as it is in heaven through his people. Um, you know, we, we talk, I, again, keep referencing Kevin DeYoung, his article, um, describes churches the same way I've described them for a long time. Our churches are embassies of a different kingdom. We are ambassadors according to scripture. Um, an ambassador fundamentally has citizenship in a different place. Um, there is no Christian nation because we already have one. It's called the kingdom. And one day it will come, and we will live in the realized kingdom, but that is not yet today. And as we wait for Christ to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, for he's the one who does it. Like we can we can influence, we can do we can get in policy, we can do all that, but it is Christ who establishes his kingdom, not people. Um when he does so, then we will be in a place where there's true justice, true mercy. Um, where God dwells with his people 
in the the glorified in the glorified Christ being present with us. Christian nationalism, in the end, for me, is far too small a an endeavor for the Christian. It's just it's too small. It's too puny. We're not about that. We're about a kingdom of God that already is. We're about leading people into that kingdom. We're about that kingdom influencing the kingdoms of this world in positive ways. But man, we never need the we, we, we gotta make sure we don't lose sight of um, the much bigger thing that God is doing. And and so I, I hope that people people would see Christian nationalism as the puny thing that it is. It's just not worthy of our God. He's bigger than that. And his work is much larger and more beautiful than that. And uh, so, you know, we're going to talk more about this. There's going to be lots of conversations over these next few weeks. And this is also the first time we're going to be posting kind of as these episodes go out. They'll go out. Episode will come out in a few days. And, um, you know, we'll record. It'll show up. We'll record. It'll show up. But my prayer is... My prayer is that as Christians, we wouldn't lose our minds. <laughs> That's really what it is. Not lose our minds. Just, Amen. Don't lose our minds. We keep them fococused on Christ. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. Lisa, any last words for us before we go? You know, God is sovereign over it all. Um, that's what scripture shows us, right? And that, here's what I love about the Old Testament, that even when he was judging Israel, that he, at the same time, he told me there's something better coming. That there's hope, that there's, that he's doing a new thing, even in the midst of, you know, of the chaos and of the, what looked like defeat, that his hand was doing something bigger than their senses could imagine. And I would say the same for us. What might God be doing through all of this chaos and upheaval and shifting. And that's where our focus needs to be because there's only so much that our finite minds can comprehend. And that's why we trust him and we lean on him and what he's doing, even when we can't understand it. Amen. Well, thank you, Lisa, for this conversation. Thank you all for listening. We're excited about season five. We'll see where this takes us. As always, you can uh, hit both of us up on Twitter. Tell us what you think. And we will see you again next time here at Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>